Okay, so welcome back to the Difficult Podcast. And this week, I think we've got an idea how to go forward with this because we've been kind of lacking for structure. It's just been us kind of shooting the shit. It's much like the rest of my life, really. It's without structure. But I'm bum. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're so Gen X. Um, yeah, no, I think you had a good idea for uh, f- for going forward because there's so many pop culture podcasts and movie podcasts, and I understand why because it's like you know drives interesting drives the world but, uh, right now. Yeah, what's your idea? You do it. Well, my idea is that because there is so much pop culture going on and because there's a shelf life of about like five seconds for everything, there are so many films. And since you and I are both both have our master's degrees in film um, and we've watched a lot of damn movies, like a lot of people have, we'll never have mm-hmm. watched as many movies as Quentin Tarantino. Nobody will. Yeah. But we've watched a lot of movies. There are those movies um, that go a little further back than a lot of people are really aware of. And I'm not talking about like Casablanca or Singing in the Rain, the films that everybody knows, but there are just those movies that have kind of fallen out of awareness, assuming they ever really, really were movies that people were that aware of. And particularly now, um, there are movies that, as we were talking about the other day, that they would fall under the category, with all apologies to Sergio Leone, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And mm. the way I see it is that if we talk about a, a movie, you know, a, a movie that we think is probably at least somewhat obscure, at least somewhat, you know, unlikely to have been seen by a lot of people, it can be good, which is like, yeah, watch this. It's you, you may get a kick out of it. Or it may be bad, in which case I kind of see it as being bad for entertainment purposes. Bad, good. Right. And then I think ugly would just be this is just this is just ugliness put on film. There's just there's just yeah. no way, there's no redeeming quality to it. Like you couldn't even you know, the whole the thing that everybody always brings up is the Ed Wood films, that they're so bad they're good. You know? These would just be yeah ugly to the point of irredeemable yeah i had a thought on that because uh, i was explaining this to my wife and i was saying yeah basically we're looking for films that are not cult films but should probably be cult films but they're not going to be cult films really unless somebody uh, unless they're available on netflix and somebody finds them but they're, they should be cult films, but they're not cult films. And the good ones are the ones that are good that just didn't get discovered. The bad ones are the ones that are so bad they're good. And I figure the ugly are the ones that are bad and aren't even worth being cult films. They're just bad. Right. You know, they're, they're, there are some films I think of that, uh, yeah, they make me laugh that they're so stupid. But at the same time, I wouldn't sit down to watch the whole thing. So. Right, right. And it's interesting that you say people discovering cult films because I think that with the change in terms of like what is on cable TV and and the loss of video stores whether it's VHS or DVD or whatever they rent because of the loss of those things there is far it's far less likely that cult films I think are going to find a kind of a place in in the culture um, yeah I mean I could be wrong but I mean I just remember when we, we, the two of us worked at a video store together back when videotape was the rental, you know, form. And 
there were movies there that were just they were cult films and people mm -hmm. would come in and they would either discover them or they came in looking specifically for them and um, these films had a life beyond what you know they'd originally had when they were made and released and right. that that you know sort of avenue to discovery isn't really around so much anymore I think it's funny that something like Heather's became a cult film because it was released in theaters and nobody saw it and then it hit video and because of video it became a cult film and now it's you know 30 years later and it's no I, I don't know if it's a cult film anymore really because it's just you know old fucks like us who remember it they're they're bringing it back as a TV show on like I don't know the the the, the CW or whatever a reboot if you will but that's almost a it, sure way of kicking dirt onto the coffin of Heather's in the cultural dustbin yeah I, I think because it says all right you know we're we're gonna the, the reboot the reboot of anything to me says that we're going to pretend that the old thing doesn't exist because it's it's just so useless to us now yeah yeah reboots don't count i i think maybe that's something that would fall under the ugly is uh, this this thing sucks but it could probably stand to have a reboot it could probably you know do to be redone properly yeah I yeah. can think of a few movies like that where I was like, God, what a great concept, but what a shitty delivery. Well, also, some stuff just doesn't age well. Like, I always, the thing that I always think of is the the first Tim Burton Batman the, the um, with Michael Keaton and Jack mm -hmm. Nicholson. And I remember when that came out and it was in theaters, there was something about it that, because it, cause it was, it had the, it had the advantage of being compared to the TV show. The, right. Well, the, that's what everybody said all the time. This isn't the campy Batman that you know. This is there's no camp. This is decamped. It's like everyone kept saying the word camp in terms of how absent it was. Yeah. But you, yeah, you watch it now and compared to everything else, it's totally camp. Right. Right. The Joker's between Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson. I mean, it's not even close. And it's. Yeah. Uh, but I I think the idea that they're there's so much content out there and we're we're in a post postmodern environment where it's not the way it used to be where content was viewed for purely entertainment value and if you if you watched it and it didn't seem good you couldn't necessarily take any you know laughter from that or you couldn't you couldn't find quirky things about it that were just you know, it's like like you say. I mean, we were we we have been raised in an era where we were primed for the ability to have various kinds of relationships with material, depending upon what that material had to offer us. And part of it is, um, I guess you could say cynicism, and part of it is you know being oh so superior um, in in um, comparison to the material and some of it is just we love that that film because it's a great film um, but now it's to the point where so many films um, over the years and I'm I think back to like the 30s and the 40s too because you know we've watched old films that people you know when I was watching them people didn't didn't really know about them um, yeah. The kinds of things that you'd only see now on something like, say, Turner Classic Movies, 
and they might air it like once a year or twice a year at the most. And uh, um, they just don't have the opportunity to have a life anymore in considering how much content is produced all the time. This might be interesting then because all of my picks are really, really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, nothing I have thought of has really been like worthy of classicness. It's really just, here's this pile of shit that's kind of funny. You might want to get high. (laughs) Uh, So we'll see how this works out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think, yeah, but we, we, I know we wanted to lay down some ground rules. Um, Yeah, yeah. Like... It can't, I, I guess, yeah, the first thing that I thought of was it can't be something that's already a cult film. So, I, I and I guess you establish that by the number of people who've ever mentioned it on Twitter. I'm not sure. It's like, that's a tough there are one. Some films, there's some films that I don't think are cult films, but they probably are. Like last week uh, at the Hollywood in downtown Portland, we went to see Get Crazy, which is the kind of follow-up to Rock and Roll High School. It's a singer Which director. is definitely a cult film to me. Rock and Roll High School is definitely a cult film. Exactly. That is totally a cult film because people are aware of it. But yeah. Get Crazy is one. I haven't heard heard it in 25 years. And when my wife was like, hey, you want to go see this thing? Everyone's talking about it. Get Crazy. I went, wow, yeah, we got to see that piece of shit absolutely and so there was and it was not a full theater but the people who were there were really into it sure i'm guessing that's i'm not sure if that's cult or not i'm i'm thinking not maybe maybe there maybe and maybe there's a level maybe there's post cult you know there's the thing that only really hardcore weirdos are into and then it goes public and like you can't say Rocky Horror Picture Show is cult anymore because it's mainstream. Right. I mean, to me, the moment that Rocky Horror Picture Show began to shift from being a cult film to being mainstream is when they released it on videotape. Hmm. You know? And they, they put sort of this sameness to it that all these other movies that you could see on video because it took away everything about the experience of watching that movie that made it a cult film. I'll go you one better. I think it actually stopped being a cult film. You remember the movie Fame? Yes. The movie, like the, the in in the movie Fame, they go to see Rocky Horror, and it's displayed as this thing that uh, cool edgy people go to do in New York. And I thought, yeah, that's. It's lost its, uh, you know, the thrill is gone if you can now refer to it like, you know, it's a cultural touchstone. Well, that was bad to happen to. Somebody's, yeah, somebody's, that was, somebody's going to want to cash in on that. That was years ago, too. Yeah. 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 Well, but I, anyway, yeah, so so we get it. It's like shit that, you know, some people probably like, but is not considered culty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the films that I actually went back and rewatched in the last few days that um, I'd mentioned to you when we were having the first conversation about this was, um, and my dog agrees, um, <laughs> was, uh, is, is a film that some people may consider a cult film, but they have to be aware of it first. And I just don't think there are that many people aware of, of this film that I'm thinking of. But so uh-huh. that's that's the first ground rule. What's the next ground rule? Um, let's see. 
it had to have been a failure when it came out. I remember when we had like we, I, we uh, Mia, the girl we worked with at the video store, and I, when we were at the video store, we came up with this idea of having a sleeper hits section of movies that are basically cult films that we could probably rent more of if we just grouped them all together, like all the weird shit. Yeah. And the manager was okay with the idea as long as we put in her picks too, and they were like dumb fucking Christy McNichol Lifetime movies. And we were like, you, you're not getting it. That's not, you know, that's not a sleeper hit. And she's like, no, but it's good. It's good, and people haven't seen it. So it is. Uh, no. <laughs> it, can't be, it can't be mainstream or... You know, it's like Pulp Fiction is not well. Here's... Well, it's not good, but it's like it, it succeeded, and a lot of people are into it. But it, Here, I guess that's a bad example. Here's the thing, I guess that I would say is that um, you know, for me, the way that I look at it is I think of it in terms of films that I was, uh, in a way, almost. I almost happened. I almost came upon them by happenstance. So, mm-hmm. like, I go back to the idea of singing in the rain. I, you know, there, being a film major, there was no way I was not. I was not going to see singing in the rain. It just wasn't going to happen. I was going to at some point yeah. see it in a class. In fact, there was, there were two classes. I'm pretty sure that I, that I had singing in the rain um, while I was in school. Um, I remember that um, we watched. Um, Help me out here. What else did we watch in in classes in uh, in film school? Um, uh, I'm completely well, blanking right now. Eight and a half. Fanny and Alexander. Yeah, that, um, yeah. Th- those are those are those are films that um, they are not films that most people, at least in this country, would be hugely aware of. But you know, there's no chance but, that we. But they are gonna... also their own thing. I think they exist as like they're not. They, those aren't cult, and those aren't. Pre-cult. I guess we're, we're we're creating a genre of pre-cult, but they that's also got its own kind of fan base. I think. Yeah. You know, those those kind of movies wouldn't be included either. Right. Like, right. I mean, like it has to be stuff that's, yeah, you know, like we say, either good, uh, so bad it's good, or just shit that doesn't have a following and maybe should. Because I know that there's you know there's millions of people who have seen uh eight and a half yeah everyone's and everyone's always talking about how they love fellini even if they don't know any of his movies he's he's a name i think the uh, the, the the other ground rule for practical purposes has to be with the, with very very few exceptions unless there's something that's just may eventually be available to see what we have what we bring up has to be available in some form um to yeah, be, to, to, for people to watch if they want to watch it. Oh, tricky, tricky. Yeah, I mean, but I'm thinking. I mean, there's you know, probably some things where I'll be like, I saw a bootleg of this in the '90s, but yeah, nobody can see it if they don't have my bootleg from the '90s. So yeah, fair point. But the the other thing is that there may be some films that, in fact, there's one film that I have come up with um, that I want to do that I don't know that it's available, say, through Amazon on DVD or anything. It's not available to stream. But it is on YouTube. I mean, it's mm-hmm. enti- it, it's on in its entirety, no commercial. Oh, that's totally free. fair, because then we can yeah. post it. 
Yeah. Right, right. So, in fact, actually, um, if it's available on YouTube, even better. In fact, actually, if it's available on YouTube and nobody has uh, made a copyright claim, then it's almost absolutely pre-cult. Yeah, this film I'm thinking of in particular is pre-cult. It is very much um, uh, from an era when, um, you know, that that kind of uh, designation for a film just didn't exist. And and yeah. and I'll, I'll just say this right now: it it's also it's it's also impossible to uh, characterize this film as a cult film because the star is Humphrey Bogart. But it's a Humphrey Bogart film that I defy all but the you know most avid film watchers to have heard of. Right. So, and it's not hmm. it's not okay. beat the devil. It's not beat the devil. That's what people might right. come to that conclusion, and that's not what it is. Okay. So. All right. Well, we'll give it a shot. Um, right. I can't think of anything else. We'll probably have to come up with more as we go. As but, we go. Yeah. Gra- so ground rules as we go. Uh, yeah, we're, it's sort of the shit or not shit uh, section of the uh, the podcast we're coming up with. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, All right. Yeah. All right. Well then, um, I guess we should stop and then record one. I guess. Okay. So or we're going to, we're going to, I do don't know that. what I'm doing at all. Should we just, I don't know, talk about some movies right now. I mean, we've got the mics on. As long as we get the mics on. I am so unprofessional. I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. I'm sorry. What? Why don't we, why don't we do two each, take turns, do two each to give an impression of how this is going to work. And then, yeah. um, and then we'll, we will, uh, call it a podcast. All right. Yeah. I, 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 we'll eventually I, and you know what like at some point if you figure out a way to keep score let's do that because okay. I, I think at some point we need to be able to really say whether or not eh, two people keeping a score it's going to be tough but ah, fuck it we'll yeah. figure it out yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah feel free to shoot down my choices too because I I'm going to do it to you and you know oh. it's entirely possible thanks for the warning it's entirely possible we're wrong <laughs> if, okay. if 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 you see something I haven't thought of that makes it not worthy, like I, you know, well that's also I, I, that's I, also I, subjective. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. There's no so, rules here. There's no cash right. prize. So fuck sure. it. We may as well just. If there's no cash yeah. prize, then you know, hey, what are you gonna do? So. Yeah, we're doing this 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 for free. We're sure. like every other dummy with a podcast. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what do you got? Well. The first one that I'm going to talk about <laughs> is the one that I mentioned I went back and watched again uh, uh, over the last few days. It's like over two and a half hours long. It is it would it would classify I would classify it as the bad. And the reason it's bad and not ugly and there's a fine line between these is because I think the ludicrousness of it makes it an unintentionally campy. Um, it is a film that came toward the end of the career of Irwin Allen, who, if anybody's familiar with Ir- Irwin Allen, he was known as the master of disaster. He uh, proceeded. She is a film. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the original guy that made the disaster movies, and everything from um, the Poseidon Adventure to Towering Inferno. But, the man who made audiences all look at some actor and say, "Oh, that motherfucker's gonna die." Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and also, I should point out the guy who's able to bring in these one-time major stars 
and get them to be in his movies, um, which mm-hmm. were always, you know, uh, lesser work than what they'd done earlier in their careers. But yeah. the film of his that came toward the end, it was a 1978 film called The Swarm, and <laughs> it has to do with the uh, arrival of killer bees in the United States, and they're all of a sudden here. Right. They're just all of a sudden. And the here. reason John Belushi had that great Saturday Night Live character, I don't know anybody knows the context of that 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 sketch on classic Saturday Night Live, but it was just a dumbass horror movie. Yeah, it was, it's it's just it's like um, this had been something in the news in the seventies that these Africanized bees were migrating toward North America, and that. You know, there was a lot of fear surrounding this, and it wasn't entirely certain when they would get here and when they got here, what they'd be like, and and it was just an awful lot of anxiety about it. Would they speak English? Would they take our jobs? (laughs) Yeah, all that. All that stuff, and we couldn't build a wall high enough, you know. So um, They fly over it. Well, we'll build it taller. Right. Five more feet. Five more feet. So (laughs) the thing is that uh, the film has Michael Caine, who you know is going to do some major scenery chewing, <laughs> yeah. right? He's the he's the central character. But you've also got... Like, I love I love any schlock that Michael Caine turns up in, whether it's this or Jaws 4 or yeah. any of it. He, he, the hand is that he always shows up going, I know why they hired me. You know, <laughs> there's, there's no fucking around with... I, yeah. I, 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 this is this isn't art. This is garbage. I'm not going to try. No, he shows up and he is so Michael Caine. My He's more Michael Caine Michael than Kine. anyone has ever been Michael Caine. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Well, he 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 does a good job of that in this. Yeah. There's there, there's no shitting around. And he. Uh, but you've you've also <laughs> got Henry Fonda and you've got um, Olivia De Havilland and you've got uh, Fred Richard Mc, Chamberlain. Fred right. McMurray. Richard Chamberlain's in it. Yeah. Um, Jose Ferrer is in it for like two minutes. He's in it for two minutes. Why would he show up for two minutes? If you don't know who who's, who Jose Ferrer is, you know, go back and check it out in IMDb or or his Wikipedia page or whatever. But you I know mean, what? When you were in high school and your teacher wanted you to read Cyrano de Bergerac, and so you went to the video store to rent the movie. That's who you and saw. And the color version with Gerard De, Gerard Depardieu wasn't in anymore, so you went with the black and white one. He was in the black and white one. Exactly. That is Jose Ferrer, and. Yeah. Um, they have oh, and Richard Widmark is in it, and I mean all of these people who were in big time films over you know over decades, and it is ludicrous because they've got whole threads that don't make any sense, but you know mm. somehow it all comes. I together. all I remember about that movie that I absolutely adored was uh, uh, Richard Chamberlain at the the nuclear power plant that yeah. was in the path of these bees, and the guy the plant manager saying we have every modern safety and convenience you could now you know we're completely ready and richard chamberlain actually has to say the line yes but you it hasn't been tested against killer bees that's right that's right you know, like what and and as that line is just ha- is just kind of closing out you hear bees yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and of course the nuclear plant explodes that i think that really should have put people off in nuclear power not bees you let me get this straight a a bug swarm can cause a nuclear explosion fuck this well and perhaps that was that was uh erwin allen's underlying plan was to try to scare people about nuclear power and while he was at it he'd make Uh. a movie about bees i mean we'll never know but anyway that's that's my choice for the first uh film that you, you you know you watch it get your popcorn 
and sit down and just enjoy the ludicrousness of it in late 1970s style and mm-hmm. and that's that's the thing and and the special effects um are late 1970s style too so that'll be interesting to watch so i will turn it over right. to you for your first pick okay mine uh mine is about a man named catcher block who's a ladies man man's man man about town he's a swinging <laughs> 60s happening fun kind of guy and ladies fall over for catcher block and then one day he meets Barbara Novak. And Barbara Novak <laughs> ain't taking his shit and wants nothing to do with him. She wrote a book called Down With Love and now all the guys aren't getting laid. So what's a man to do but to do an expose for his magazine to show that this Kim Novak did I say Kim Novak? You said Kim Novak. Barbara yeah. Novak. That this Barbara Novak is a fraud. And it's a film called Down With Love that is utterly fucking charming. It's hilarious. It's goofy. And it's done in the vein of a uh, um, uh, a Doris Day film from back in the day. I think uh, I, I think it's from um, I think it's a um, Natalie Wood film, uh, Sex and the Single Girl. It's an original. It, but it, I think it might be riffing off that. But there are yeah, a few is, different is, yeah. films in there that they are you know oh, right. borrowing. From. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it, it's it's from that whole early 60s era romantic comedy uh thing and it has the it has yeah. that aesthetic of that early yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's 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 well one if you if you liked mad men for the uh, uh mid-century modern kind of style it's got a ton of that but yeah frankly i think that's yeah that's almost like watching the super bowl for the commercials there's so much going on in here that is fun I, I love this film so much, and I'm always sort of blown away that nobody knows this film, including people I would sort of think know better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think my wife and I bonded, or, or rather, we no, bonded is the wrong word. We, we decided, okay, this one's cool, after we realized we had both seen Down With Love before we'd met each other, and we both thought it was you know, the shit. Hmm. I think I think the reason it doesn't it isn't cult is it's got uh, Ewan McGregor mm-hmm. uh, pre mole so pre mole removal so it, it, it's one of his good ones <laughs> and Renee Zellweger right pre everything uh, with her face um, it's it, but the you know big commercial stars of the er- early to mid zeros yeah it had a wide release was this pre Jerry Maguire think it did well. For Renee Zellweger? Uh, no, it was after. It was after. It, was after. it might even have been after uh, uh, Cold Jones. Mountain or whatever that mountain. Oh, that yeah. Cold, cold, mountain. It was a cold mountain. It was a very yeah, cold mountain. Yeah, it was after after the Academy Award. Right, um, right. But, uh, oh, and also, I, okay, here's where I, I, I really screw up because I can't think of actors' names anymore. Um, the... The guy who was the brother Niles on Frasier. Oh, David Hyde and Pierce. David Hyde Pierce, and and he's sort of the, the the not the lackey, but the friend, the guy friend, the foil, the the he's Horatio. The, he's like the Tony Randall. Exactly. He, he's he's yeah. what Tony Randall was in all of those early, nineteen uh, sixties comedies. Right, and he ends up uh, pairing with Barbara Novak's uh, sidekick buddy, whose name I also can't remember. Um, 
who is Marsha Clark in The People vs. O.J. Simpson. Right. That's um, um, I'm trying to remember the actress's name because she was in she was in that show uh, uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Um, right. If if we had this kind of podcast for uh, TV shows, I would put that in the ugly. <laughs> Wasn't popular. Shouldn't have been popular. It's buried in shit where it belongs. Yes. Okay. Um, but yeah, her. I I I I I think it's funny that even though they didn't know it at the time, the 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 actor who's actually gay, you know, they they pair up with the actress who's actually a lesbian. There's something yeah. there's something right about that, given the whole Rock Hudson thing. But sure, I don't know sure. what it is. Well, it's and Tony just... Randall is in it. Tony Randall makes his last appearance in that. Uh that that's fitting. I mean, that's that's a you know, he's probably like just about the last guy around from mm-hmm. those films that uh, because I think by Doris that, is still alive. Well, she's still alive, but I don't think she'd be interested in acting. And, um, you know, some of the other... Oh, she's early, also not a guy. R- that's true. That's true. And Tony Curtis is gone. And Tony Curtis was... Tony Curtis played the male role in the film Sex and the Single Girl, which is, has some of the similarities of um, Down With Love. So... Yeah. But Tony was gone, so... Um, yeah. And, you know. and finally, there is a... a I, 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 I think they should remake it as a musical. If it ever did catch on and be cult, become cult, they would they would stage it as a musical because the last part of the film is a musical number where they perform the 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 not hit single from the movie Down with Love and as a musical number. As a musical number like you would see on a variety show in the sixties. Uh. It's fucking perfect it is just a perfect brilliant with, with all the stagecraft and so forth yeah yeah and ewan and renee singing ah. and he is an awesome singer if you you know if you're a fan of moulin rouge or not even you, you gotta admit he can sing i won't deny that he can sing i'm, I'm not yeah. gonna sit here and do that so down with love all right so that's mine down with love okay so, I don't know if that no now does that not count because again it was a big studio film but it's a big studio film that failed. Well, uh, let's let's just let's leave it in there for now and if later on All we right. have to excise it we'll have the excise ceremony. Like I say at some point we're going to have to figure out a uh, um a a good bad ugly score the, for these things. The, but yeah. I definitely put it in the good. Yeah. Okay. I won't I won't uh, fight you on it. Um <laughs> so the, the second film that I'm going to bring up is one from going back to the 1940s. And the reason I'm going to bring it up is because it's a film that showed how good movies could be. It's not a great movie. It's a good movie. Um, mm. And how, how good movies could be with these stars and with people. Basically, that was it was the studio system at the time. And so you had writers um, who were contracted with the studios. And you had actors who were contracted with the studios. And the name of the film is Larceny, Inc. And it is, Mm. to the best of my knowledge, it's the one film with Edward G. Robinson in a comedic role. What year? Do you know? I don't. I don't have it in front of me. I'm I'm guessing it's probably around 1946, 47. If if we'll have to put. You know what? When we when we post this, I'll put on the uh, on the blog or on the site. uh, Right all these titles so and links to whatever we want so that's a good idea yeah so it's the story that launched a bunch of other stories because everybody's heard or seen some iteration in a movie or a tv show of 
would be or intend it, people who intend to rob a bank and their scheme is to get access to a basement of a building next to a bank and dig their way into the bank vault right I mean how many times has that been used well this isn't that, isn't that a big deal on Madonna Street um, I think that was a uh, the first time I mean no no it's the same it's the same uh, uh, concept right uh, and uh, 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 oh, what's the other one? I'm sorry. Now, now you've got me thinking of the various movies where I've seen that. Um, well, it goes uh, clear Sexy back. Beast. Yeah, uh, there was a Woody Allen film that did it. Um, right. The the, it, the the whole thing really goes back to uh, Sherlock Holmes story. The Red Headed League um, is where it first happened. So it actually goes back to Victorian literature. But this was um, a very early version of this in film. And if it wasn't the first, then it was certainly one of the first. But it's built around the Edward G. Robinson character who is just coming out of prison with his sidekick who's played by Broderick Crawford, great character actor. Mm-hmm. And they um, find themselves in uh, a situation where they all they know is crime. So they're going to do something. They're going to you know what 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 they're what they actually start out to do is to try to buy their way into having um, a um, a dog racetrack and um, they find that they can't get a, a loan from any bank and so he's a little bit put off and he's like well let's just go back to what we know and they end up buying their way into this uh, luggage shop um, and if you if if you watch the film, you find out how they can buy their way into owning a luggage shop, but they can't buy their way into getting a racetrack. It makes it it, it works, trust me. And, <laughs> and in the basement of the luggage shop um, that they now are running, there is this shared wall with the bank, and so everything that can possibly interrupt their progress comes up, and the uh, the end result is on Christmas Eve played by Anthony Quinn, their great nemesis from prison. He's escaped from prison, and he comes, and he um, is about to uh, force his way in on the partnership, just as they've kind of decided they're not going to go ahead and rob the bank after all because they've decided that they're going to go straight and be, you know, luggage salesmen and so forth. And and Edward G. Robinson is just trying to keep the whole thing held together. (laughs) And he is faced with everything from um, his it's not his daughter it's it's it, it's she, she's played by Jane Wyman and she is intended to be um, uh, someone you know it, it's it's a friend's daughter and the friend has passed away and so he kind of looks after her and and, uh-huh. and it's the idea is that that she he, he's sort of her foster father and she's trying to keep him because from, from being a love interest for Edward G. Robinson would be just way too creepy. It would be. It would be. Yeah. She actually ends up um, having a love interest with a guy that that uh, is a wholesale seller of luggage to the store, um, and um, and she tries everything she can think of because she's she's suspicious that Robinson is up to something. He plays a, his character's name is Pressure, of all things, <laughs> and so she's trying to like constantly stifle his efforts. And it's just one of these 1940s, I wouldn't call it a screwball comedy because it's not a screwball comedy, but there is uh, certainly some physical comedy in it. There's character-generated comedy. 
um, and it just is paced so well and it, the dialogue is clever and the characters um, it's definitely the Edward G. Robinson type of character uh, where he's this little guy but he's in control and he's you know like just like he was in Little Caesar and Public Enemy and so forth mm-hmm. and um, it's um, it's just a a, a, a great you know, comedy from the 1940s that's that's going to fall under the good category. Right. And again, it's probably not going to be discovered by anyone unless somebody tells them to go looking for it. Right. Can, can, Actually, I think, where, I, I, think I, have public, I, I think I have Public Enemy wrong. I think Public Enemy was Cagney, but either it way. It was, yeah. Okay, so so Little Caesar he was, was... He was... Uh, um, wait, no. He was Little Caesar or... He, yeah, Edward, Edward G. Robinson was Little Caesar. And then he was he yeah. was other similar gangster characters but you know little caesar and public enemy were the were the seminal films for each of those two guys from which they were like later on um uh, cagney did the roaring 20s in which he was you know another gangster type and Mm -hmm. um now where can people see it um it may just be turner classic movies if it's ever on there um i was not able to see it on uh amazon um when i checked but um, it's one of those that I just, in this introductory episode, thought, okay, I'm going to bring this up because it's different enough from The Swarm. I mean, I figured The Swarm and Larceny, yeah. okay, that's a good pair to have. Yeah. yeah so well there played. it is. Yeah. As, and since you brought both of them up, I just want to say it's funny. I They both really did beat that gangster typecast because now when I think of Cagney, I only think of how fucking hilarious he was in uh, One, Two, Three. Yeah. And uh, when I think of Edward G. Robinson, I I only think of how sort of sharp but sweet he was in Double Indemnity. To me, that's who right. he is. Right. The guy who doesn't want to have to you know burn his friend, but sorry, you you broke the law. <laughs> well, they they both had that quality that you know, and then Cagney also in Yankee Doodle Dandy. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they both had films that they were able to do um, outside the gangster genre because of a quality that mm-hmm. they had. So Yeah, we could, we could do a whole thing on these guys, but oh, sure. we won't. Sure. All right. <laughs> and you, so you're my up. other film, yeah, okay, so I kind of did the whole thing you did of uh, sort of pairing two things very not like each other uh and i already mentioned this film get crazy from 1983 uh it is i'm gonna i'm gonna say right from the beginning it's shit it's just shit it's not something you would watch (laughs) and go you know oh this is funny or this 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 show tells me something about the age in which it was made no it's just fucking stupid you can see the coke coming off the screen Literally, there is a scene where uh, uh, in in what's his name, the uh, Malcolm McDowell is in it. That's a that's a sign. If it's 1983, wow. that it's shit. Malcolm McDowell is a uh, a rock star whose name is Wanker, which is really on the nose. And one of the you know his coke headed drummer takes over the tour plane, and Malcolm McDowell and his chick are trying to keep the jar full of coke from dumping all over the plane. Is it? It's like. It should be a funny sight gag, but drug humor just isn't as funny anymore. But 
But you literally see coke coming out the screen. There's all sorts of people getting high, and it's like for its time, it's very, I guess, lowbrow. Uh, I'm not anti-drug. I'm just like you got to come up with a better joke than this guy is taking drugs. Ha 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 ha. It's a lot of that kind of juvenile funny. But the reason I add it to this list is it's one of those let's put on a show kind of movies that I always love. Mm -hmm. I always give extra points to any movie that is let's put on a show. I think it's one of those goofy premises, especially something like this where let's put on a show is completely stupid. Mm -hmm. And I think this movie knows it's stupid. That's that's the really fun thing. They, They know that they're making a tasteless pile of shit. Uh, it wasn't tasteless enough, I think. I mean, Cheech and Chong did that kind of shit better and yeah. funnier. Yeah. Uh, and the other reason I put it in, and I'll put the video up on our, our site because it's on YouTube, Lee Ving, the lead singer of Fear, does uh, a cover of Hoochie Coochie Man that is fucking <laughs> awesome. And it's a running gag in the film. They get a blues guy who's a blues legend who does Hoochie Coochie Man and then they get this new wave band to do Hoochie Coochie Man and then Lee Ving going fucking crazy and I'm sure the backing band is actually Fear doing yeah. Hoochie Coochie Man and then uh, Malcolm McDowell you know, in his, his Coke Haze doing Hoochie Coochie Man. Oh yeah, and there's also a a hilarious bit at the end where Malcolm McDowell takes the drugged water that everyone is taking and uh, ends up having a conversation with his penis that is fascinating. (laughs) It's just, it is, it is so, so many, uh, uh, actually, I don't think it's so many years beyond Erica Jong, but it's, you know, Uh it's, it's in line and um, yeah, just, just crazy stupid. He hires his dick as his manager, but guess it. But it makes sense in the context of no, it doesn't. It's right. Make a fucking well. sense. But it's funny. Um, yeah. So get crazy <laughs> is, I believe, the first addition to our ugly pile. Wow. Well, we had to have an ugly in there, I guess. I'm gonna have to figure um, out a way to design websites so that we can have columns and put put actual ugly in 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 there. Yeah. Good, bad, ugly. Yeah. So we've got one bad, two good, and one ugly thus far. Yeah, yeah. Because because um, I I guess that like I said I cannot actually recommend anyone see it. There's a certain nostalgia for me because I saw it when I was a teenager and mm-hmm. uh, I remember going fuck that's the guy from Fear. But otherwise, not a great reason to to see it. Right. And you'll know Lee Ving as Mr. Body from uh, Clue. Oh, Mr. Body. That's right. Yeah. Oh, my. Mr. Body. Mr. Body. And Clue is an underrated film. I don't know if that I don't know if that qualifies. We'll have to discuss that sometime cuz it came out, it was a failure. Uh mm-hmm. but in its own way it is funny. Well, and Tim Rice is in it. So, Tim Rice? Tim Curry is Tim in Curry. it. So, yeah, a different non-meat dish. Uh, Tim Curry is in it, and <laughs> so it kind of gets some points for being almost cult right there. Right. Well, there you go. I mean. All right. Well, I guess we wrap this one up then, huh? I think we did. I think. You know, we did. this is the fun part about having a uh, a a structure is we know when to stop. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It does make it easy. All right. Cool. So well, that's it. Uh, so then. 
that's it for this week's uh, difficult podcasts. Uh, I'm on so Twitter hard. at Chow and yeah, I'm on Twitter at Chow and Rico. If you want to hit me up with, particularly if you have any uh, bumpers or music we can use, because this this really feels like toast without butter, not having any kind of intro or outro music. So, yay! And, and I uh, I live vicariously through at Chow and Rico because I'm not really uh, Twitter active, at least you know, not. Yeah, you have a Twitter account, but you also have a life, so you don't check it. I get it. Uh, I wouldn't put it that way. I would say I have. Uh, I don't know what to. I don't know what to tweet. To be honest, I just. I think okay. what. The, what the hell? I don't know. I'm just not. <laughs> you know. You yeah. You you just got very nebbishy about Twitter there. I just, I'm, oh, oh, I, yeah, I I don't. Eh. I mean. All right. I'm basically. Yeah. I, I know nobody's gonna read it. So like, what what's the point? Right. Okay, then. Well, till next week, we'll see you at the movies. There you go. That's it. (laughs) Yes. If you can't come up with anything interesting, steal.